Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. This morning, we're going to pick back up on our series called Romans 8 Reflections. Uh, You'll remember that in the middle of Romans chapter 8, Paul's making some comparisons. He's contrasting ideas. And a couple of weeks ago, we explored the tension uh, that our bodies have been subject to death because of sin. Uh, But the Spirit of God lives inside of us, bringing life, life even to our mortal bodies. And this reminded us of two things primarily. Number one is it reminded us that a new way of life has been opened up to us. That we can choose to live according to the spirit that is inside of us instead of being enslaved to the old order or what we call the first order. uh, The kind of the one way highway of our lives that we were all kind of born into. That through the spirit of God who lives inside of us a new lane has been opened up. A new way of life. But we also learned as part of this that This tension that Paul's talking about is that the plan of salvation of God is not just that we would kind of have our souls saved into a disembodied heaven, but that his plan is ultimately to redeem our bodies as well. That the resurrected physical body of Christ is in fact the prototype for those who are in Christ that we ourselves will experience physical redemption and bodily redemption as well. And so it's a full-bodied hope and gospel uh, that Paul Paul is offering to us through this comparing and contrasting of ideas. What this week I want to do is I want to look at another comparison that Paul makes. And remember, we're kind of working our way through Romans chapter 8 backwards. And so in the previous passage that we looked at, we'll look at Romans chapter 8 verses 5 through 9. And this time he's making a comparison between the flesh and the spirit. And so uh, I'll I'll read it for us here this morning. Romans chapter 8, beginning with verse 5, says this. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. And to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. And for this reason, the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, you are in the Spirit, since the Spirit of God dwells in you. And anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now again, a definition of terms is really important as we seek to unpack these ideas and grasp what Paul is saying. The term flesh, as Grace mentioned and put so well in the children's message, is confusing and can be confusing because of the variety of ways that that same English word is used in the scriptures. That you can come across the word flesh in the scriptures and in fact it means our bodies, our flesh. But you can also come across it in where its meaning is deeper or more significant than just that. And so when Paul is using the word flesh in Romans chapter 8, it's important that we understand that he is not referring to our physicality. Again, if we read it this way, it would appear that Paul is saying that our physical body is bad and contrary to the spirit that is inside of us. 
And so Paul, we can misunderstand it to say our physical bodies, our bodies themselves, and the spirit or soul is inside of us are somehow at war with one another or not congruent with one another. But this cannot be. Remember that Paul knew the creation story well. The Genesis narrative marks out after each day of creation, God calls it good. And then God, after the sixth day of creating humanity, God looks over humanity and calls us very good. And so Paul knows this story intimately. He affirms, number one, God as creator, but also he affirms the goodness of creation. And this is really, really important. I think one of the biggest mistakes that modern Christianity has made over the past few generations is that we've had a tendency to over-spiritualize our faith. And by what I mean about that is we've kind of misread or misunderstood passages like this one and made faith too much about abandoning flesh or abandoning the world in favor of a more spiritual existence. Uh, but actually, the Bible never does this. And this is not the gospel that is presented to us in the scriptures. What the scriptures do is affirm over and over God as creator, that God loves his creation, God cares for his creation, and intends to redeem all of creation. And so if we're reading the scriptures properly, we begin to kind of let go of the ideas that the gospel is somehow just about our souls being shot into a, a disembodied heaven, but rather that there's this goodness to the world and there's this goodness to our physical bodies. Brian, pa Pastor uh, Brian Zahn puts it well when he writes, I dream of a church that is at home in God's good world instead of, instead of huddled anxiously at the departure gate. I dream of a church that is at home in God's good world rather than huddled anxiously at the departure gate. And so when Paul uses the word flesh, he's talking instead not our, about our physicality, but our mortality or the sinful nature that has corrupted our flesh and made our bodies subject to sin and death. And so flesh, think of it this way. This is a really helpful way uh, for me, it was really helpful, and I hope it's helpful to you. But a really helpful way of understanding this is that flesh is a shorthand way of talking about a disposition or mindset that is set against God. So flesh is a disposition or mindset that is set against God. And Paul's emphatic truth that he wants to share with us is that this mindset, this disposition, leads to death. And so if the flesh is this mindset against God, what exactly is that mindset? Or, or more specifically, what, what, might be, what, Paul, what is it that Paul might be pointing us toward? And I, I appreciate how the common English Bible translates this verse. It says in part, the attitude that comes from selfishness leads to death. The attitude that comes from selfishness leads to death. You see, selfishness runs contrary to the very nature of God. The Jesus who is God made flesh shows us that God is self-giving love. You know, here at Emmaus Road, we have, we have three defining marks to try to kind of give clarity to who we are and the character of our church. What are the things that we're going to be about as you participate in the ministries and programs and culture of Emmaus Road? We call these things defining marks. And, and you know what? The defining mark of God is self-sacrificial love. That Jesus 
takes on the sin of the world as an act of self-giving love, that God creates out of self-giving love. And so what Paul is saying is that selfishness, a centering in on oneself, is in fact a way of life that is contrary to the nature of God, which is why Paul says that the mindset that is set on the flesh is contrary to God. It's contrary to God. And so this passage actually causes us to look carefully at our own mindsets, our own disposition, our, our own kind of posture toward the world and begins to at, like, cause us to ask some difficult questions and really be introspective. Is my mindset one of love or neighbor, love for neighbor, even at personal cost? Or is my mindset one of demanding my own rights because when we look at these kinds of questions, one mindset is Christ-like because it focuses on service to the other. The other mindset is hostile to God because it is focused on the demanding the rights of self. Now, this is not in contrast to self-care, which of course is so important. And there's always work to be done where we, where we do have an introspective attitude and we look to see where the Spirit of God may be at work in us so that we might then be better able to love and to serve the world. So anytime we're talking about like a disposition that is other-centered, this is not in competition with self-care and introspection. But rather we do self-care and we do introspection and we do the hard work on ourselves so that we might be better able to love and to serve the world. And so you might think of it this way, the flesh then is this mindset of independence from God. This, this way of being in and seeing the world as though my, that I am independent from others and from God and from the need for others and the need for God. Uh, it's a bit like this. Imagine pulling into a gas station, but instead of connecting to the gas pump, uh, you bring a hose out from the trunk of your car and then try to put it into the, the gas inlet of your car and try to fill up with gas. This does not work, right? Uh, you can't fill up your car from the, having your own car as the source. You have to have an outside source to fill up your car. The mindset of the flesh is a bit like trying to fill up with gas without the gas pump. It's a mindset that's turned in on ourselves, trying to fuel our own lives without ever connecting to a source other than ourselves. Right? That Paul's overwhelming message in, chapter, in Romans chapter 8 is that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. That when we make a commitment to the way of Christ, we are given the gift of the Spirit. And then this thing called provenient grace means the Spirit of God is inside of us and chasing us even prior to our commitment to Christ. And so the Spirit of God is inside of you. You have this thing greater than yourself upon which to draw for life. And so only focusing on ourselves without concern for other, Paul says, that will lead to death. But contrast this then to life in the Spirit, which Paul says leads to life and to peace. Again, using mindsets as kind of a helpful way to, to make sense of this passage, uh, we begin to see that the mindset of the Spirit is not selfishness, but of course is self-giving love. The mindset of the Spirit is self-giving love, self-sacrificial love. And this is difficult for us as a culture, 
because the way in which we tend to think about love is either uh, in, in like kind of romantic sentimentality, which is just a really cheap form of love, right? Uh, romantic comedies, that's like this kind of like cheap romantic sentimentality kind of understanding of love. But the other way that we tend to operate in terms of love in our culture is I'm happy to love you or a group of people or an organization as long as I receive benefit back from that relationship, right? So, so I'm happy to love as long as it's not really costing me anything. This is the way we tend to operate when it comes to love. So we're happy to love someone or something or an organization as long as I get, I, as long as I get personal benefit from that relationship. But self-giving love is loving others even when it costs me something. That's self-giving love. Self-sacrificial love is being willing to love even when it costs me something. Now, many of you uh, own pets. And so you know that pets can be a lot of work. And uh, before COVID happened, like last November, uh, we convinced Amy that our house needed a kitty. And this was like a 10-year project of, of uh, convincing Amy. Uh, basically, Jaden's entire lifetime, we've been working on Amy and wearing her down. And we eventually were successful. So we, last November, got a purebred Siberian kitty named Dakota. I have a picture of her here. Oh, <laughs> She's a little bit bigger than this now, but this is, uh, but not just kind of out of the kitten stage. This is when she's a teenager. We'll say this. This is Dakota as a teenager. Um, she is so furry and so soft. Our girls like to refer to her as the softest thing on earth. And in fact, you, if you were to pet her, you in fact would be surprised at just how soft she is. Uh, she is so beautiful and so fun to have around. But you know what? We've learned that she sheds a ton. Like, I was folding laundry the other day. So this shirt had come through the wash, into the dryer, into the laundry basket. I pull it out of the laundry basket, fresh out of the dryer, and this black shirt is covered in cat hair. It was unbelievable. This was a revelation for me. I thought maybe the washer took care of cat hair. It does not, right? And, and we have to, so she's like so furry. We're constantly like finding ourselves like picking up this soft fur that we love so much. But it's a ton of work. We also have to scoop her litter like every day. We have to make sure that food isn't left out on the counter because if it is, then she'll get it. We have to purchase trash cans with lids on them because she was going around the house tipping over every trash can for little things to play with, even though we have purchased her a whole army of real cat toys, right? It's like none of those are good enough. I want what's in the trash, you know? So we had to purchase trash cans with lids. And, and here's the thing, we, she's a ton of work, and we've had to make a lot of adjustments to our life to welcome her into our home. But let me tell you, it is not hard to love Dakota because we also get so much benefit from having her in the house. She's fun to play with. In the morning, she just purrs and purrs and rubs her face against yours. And she does like these hilarious things where she 
gets so focused on who even knows what and just tears around the house and then will stop and wonder what in the world she was doing, right? Like has no idea. What was I hunting? I have no idea, you know? It's really, really funny. And, and we have loved having her in the house. And, and me and at least our two girls, uh, the jury is still out on Amy. Uh, but for me and the two girls, this, this COVID thing has been horrible, but so much better with a cat, right? I remember looking at the girls and being like, can you imagine going through all of this if we didn't have Dakota and each other, right? You know, it's like, <laughs> the point is, is that Dakota's a ton of work, but we get so much in return. And because of that, she's easy to love. Contrast that to our other pets. We have two parakeets named Kiki and Kiwi. Also a picture here. They also are a ton of work. Um, birds, you need to know, make a pretty impressive mess for their size. Like, I'm not exactly sure what's going on with their eating habits. I just know that the bird seed goes in the feeder and then onto the floor. And, and, and it seems to be just this tornado of activity where like bird seed could end up in places so far from the cage, you wonder if like they're actually having spitting contests when you're not looking. I mean, it is crazy. Um, birds also, here's what you need to know about birds. Birds don't have a litter box or a backyard. They just go whenever and wherever they need to go. And so it's a difficult thing, you know? Also, birds... Um, what they do for fun, and this is a true story, what birds do for fun is destroy things. Uh, in the bird world, it's called a destroy toy, where you buy them a toy, and the whole purpose of that is for them to have fun destroying it. And so uh, you can imagine then the mess from bathroom business without a bathroom, throwing seeds and all over the floor, destroying toys in their cage, you can imagine the mess, and you have to clean up that mess, and you have to keep up with it. And they are also so cute. And if you are able to touch one without getting bit, they are also very soft. But if you try to hold them, they bite. Try to play with them, they fly away. There is a cost to owning these birds. Vacuuming, cleaning the cage, giving them food and water giving them fresh toys to destroy. But at least for me, there's not a lot in return. And there's a cost to loving them. Now, my oldest daughter promised me to say that for her and in her perspective, it's a totally different story, right? That for her, there is this return of love and they're easy to love. But for me, any love toward the birds is 100% self-giving, self-sacrificial love. It is love at a cost. Do you know what I mean? You see, we tend to think about love in terms of the benefit that we get in return. But the spirit that is inside of us is drawing us in and inviting us into a way of life that is love even when it costs us something self-sacrificial love that is the defining mark of the God that we serve. 
And in fact, the, 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 the contention, the point that Paul is trying to make is so countercultural, so upside down and true to the gospel. He's actually saying that with, if by the spirit that lives inside of us, we will learn to love even when it costs us something, even when we get nothing or very little in return. Paul says, not only is this evidence of the fruit of the spirit in your life, it will actually lead to life and to peace. That the way in which to operate in the world is not centered in on self, but rather an orientation toward others, true to the spirit of God that is inside of us. And if you learn to live this way, and it is difficult, trust me. Paul's not talking about anything that is easy here. He's saying it will lead to life and to peace. Now, the life that he's talking about is actually the resurrection life that we talked about a couple weeks ago, because he's going to go on and make that point. There's this new lane of resurrection life that has been opened up for you, and it is to live according to this new creation, that we aren't bound by the first order of things but, and the one-way highway that leads to death, but there's been a new way that has opened up for you. So that's the life that Paul is talking about. And then the peace that he's talking about is union with God. Think about that. Union, relationship, intimacy with God, who he affirms as creator of the world. The very creator God. The peace that we can have is union with him. Think about this. Paul says that living according to the flesh, the mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it's turned in on ourselves. Therefore, it's antithetical to the nature of who God is. But Paul says, but the spirit will lead us to peace, which is union with God. Because if we live according to the ways of self-sacrificial love, we are walking in step with the very nature and character and spirit of who God is. You know, most of us have seen or heard stories of, of sacrifice and, and, and uh, giving of oneself for the benefit of another. And we're so moved by these stories. But the reason that we're moved by them is they are connecting us to something, or might I more properly say someone, who is deep inside of us. That we are drawn to these stories and these actions because there is life there. There is resurrection life and union with God. And so Paul essentially lands in verse nine on the good news. The good news is you are a spirit-filled people, that the spirit of God lives inside of you if in fact you have given your life over to Christ. Now again, I wanna make clear that it isn't just those who have made a decision for Christ, that when we make that decision, we are given the gift of the spirit, but provenient grace says the image of God is stamped on all of us and drawing us and inviting us in. So, to, so, it's, so it's true to say, at least to some degree, that all people have the spirit of God inside of them. And, and Paul says then, because of that, you can now live in the ways of love that are empowered by that very spirit. That, which is to say that we can rise above narratives of the rights of self and instead care for neighbor. That we can see right through us and them rhetoric and see the precious value of the other. That we can expose false narratives of blame and shame and seek the truth. We can be a people who are seeking truth. Because there is an ugliness and there is a beauty. Ugliness when someone refuses to care for their neighbor and while screaming demands of their own rights. When the issue at hand is not one of injustice but inconvenience. 
Ugliness, when all the rhetoric creates an enemy, there, there's, we're creating a them that is opposed and poses a threat to the us. Ugliness, when we blame others and we shame them. But then there is a beauty when we are willing to care for others at personal cost and inconvenience. There is a beauty when us versus them turns, us, and turns into us for them because this posture recognizes that there are, in fact, differences between us, that we are not all the same. And if I am privileged, then I am in a position to serve. It's not us versus them, but us for them. If there has to be an us and them, right? There's a beauty when we refuse to play the blame and shame game, but rather be seekers of the truth. There is an ugliness of the flesh and there is a beauty of the Spirit. And here's my encouragement for us today. We can all live in the beauty, but it does require something of us. It requires that we humble ourselves before God and let the ways of the flesh die so that we might live according to the Spirit which means to some degree that we will be invited into, will be drawn into, we will even be asked to participate in personal repentance. To go before God and maybe others and say, I, ha I got it wrong. I've not been living according to the ways of the Spirit. It will require and we will be invited into, we may be even be, be asked to participate in personal humility. Humility is the ability to say, you know what, I didn't have the whole picture. Humility is the ability to say, I don't have everything figured out even at this stage in my life. One of the things that I found with raising kids is answering questions is tough, right? Like kids, teenagers, they've got some doozies of questions. And they often ask them sort of in passing right around bedtime, right? <laughs> and you're like, oh, I wish we had three hours to talk about this, but it's bedtime, right? And one of the things that I've tried to learn as a parent is to help present the reality that even as an old dad, 40 years old, who has trained his whole life in biblical studies to look at my kids and say, you know what? I don't have everything figured out. That's a great question. Let's explore that together. Humility is the ability to say, I don't have everything figured out, even at this stage of life. Humility is the ability to, to recognize that the way in which I see and experience the world is not the way in which everyone sees and experiences the world. That's a big one. It's maybe the courage to admit that I may not have everything worked out just right. In fact, I may have even been wrong on some things. And so, in many ways, and this is me, this is my commentary on this passage, that, that Paul is inviting us in, he's drawing us into this life in the Spirit. But for me, the way into that life in the Spirit has a lot to do with personal repentance, has a lot to do with personal humility, has a lot to do with saying, you know what? Every, I just don't have everything figured out all the time. And that takes a lot of courage. But when we find 
that we're willing to do that, we're invited into a life of resurrection life and peace. Resurrection life and union with God. And may it be so then for each of us. Amen? Amen. Let's say a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray today that we would be a humble people and seekers of truth. We recognize, Lord, today that there is um, a lot to consider, a lot going on, a lot of information, um, a lot of rhetoric, and it's, it's really, really difficult to, to kind of find our way through. And so God, as, as people of God, may, we, may our main position, may our main disposition be informed by the spirit that lives inside of us and therefore be one of self-giving and self-sacrificial love. That we might be a humble people willing to say, I don't have all the answers and I don't have everything figured out. And to be seekers of truth. And so God, help us in these days. Uh, as, we, as we are navigating all things kind of being different, church is different, school is different, our workplaces are different, and having to navigate just an enormous amount of change, and it is so disruptive in our lives and in our hearts. Many of us just longing to say, let's just go back to how it was. Many of us living kind of with an undergirding anxiousness about it all. When will this end? What will be the consequences of all of this? God, in these days, may your people live and show and demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit, that we might live according to the Spirit that lives inside of us. It's to this end we pray that your Spirit would be freely at work in us and among your people. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.